Hello and welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm your host, Ross Chevalier, and today I'm joined by a special guest. Hello, special guest. How you doing? So, my guest is Kia. Kia, can you introduce yourself? Tell folks a little bit about who you are, what you do. Absolutely. So, I'm a guitar player, but I'm also a singer-songwriter, vocalist, and a little bit of everything else, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm 21 years old, I'm uh, based in Toronto, so yeah. So obviously a whole lot younger than me, and what I'm hoping is that we're going to get a perspective from Kia on how, well in this case, a couple of generations after me sees the world of music, the opportunities, the challenges. Uh, does that sound fair to you? Sounds pretty good to me. Okay. So you've, I know from chatting with you, uh, down at Cosmo Music in Richmond Hill, Ontario, um, that you are all the things that you've said you are, uh, but you also help people select their instruments, their guitars, their amps and all that sort of thing. And if I miss, and if I understood correctly, uh, you're a recent graduate of the music program at Humber College in Toronto. Is that right? Not quite. I'm so I did a certificate before so I do have a certificate in jazz and I just finished my third year so I do have one more year to go but uh yeah I have been there for a while so far (laughs) cool and you've got an interesting tour coming up this summer I understand so yeah I actually have to go to Edmonton August 1st and I'll be there for six weeks um for a play uh by Mervish so it's called Six and uh, I'm really excited because guitar players don't usually get to be on the stage, but I'll, I'll get to be on the stage for this one. And uh, so it's going to open in Edmonton at the Citadel, and then it's going to come back to Toronto, and we're going to be in Toronto for about a year, an entire year. So eight shows a week. It's going to be pretty Busy. fun. Yeah. <laughs> Busy. And that's Mervish's interpretation of the Six Wives of Henry VIII, is it Correct. not? Correct. Yes. Right. So that, that's going to be very fascinating. So what prompted you to take up music as a career? Honestly, there was nothing else for me. It's fair. Yeah, I would say that I'm one of the few people out of at least my friends in my circle of whom I've met that kind of just knows what they want to do. And I'm kind of grateful for that, but also it's a little bit scary because I don't have any other option. Like, this is it for me. Okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely headstrong on that. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, you can teach skill. You can't teach attitude. <laughs> so your positive attitude will no doubt do you well. So I'd like to direct our conversation, if we can, to how you take being a I'm going to call you a professional musician, as well as your role as a sales professional in that music store. What have you learned about the differences between buyers and players in different generations? I mean, you do get to deal with folks of all age groups. Yeah, absolutely. I would say fundamentally, there's not much of a difference. A guitar player is a guitar player, a musician is a musician. We all kind of have that... um, that need to play and just have fun. And it is just fun, right? Um, so I think that is kind of what prompts everyone to play an instrument. But um, 
there are differences in kind of what everyone is geared towards in terms of like a younger player i would say is really much more privy to the digital stuff just because i mean phones computers are everything's digital now so they just kind of like that stuff and they're comfortable with it i find that maybe people over like 30 40 um kind of really like the classic things they like tubes right they like uh gibson and fender um just the classic stuff so is it safe to say that the younger players don't have the same preconceptions as some of the players say of my generation might have where when we came up there was gibson fender and maybe ibanez yeah and and, and a few british and american amps but Mm -hmm. certainly not the flexibility and choices today and we certainly didn't have digital now we barely had analog yeah <laughs> so, uh, okay i can see that so that i find that very interesting so when someone comes in and they say to you i don't play an instrument i don't but i want to play guitar mm-hmm. what's the conversation sound like that you have with them to help them at least get started in the right direction. Yeah, well, I always first try and ask kind of what music they like to listen to because that's going to change the answer on what I suggest, like, extremely. If someone says, oh, I love love Green Day, I love um, Nirvana, all those things, I'm going to recommend an electric. Right. It's probably going to be something with humbuckers, um, so that, that could be an option. Or if they say, oh, I like Phoebe Bridgers, um, I like more acoustic stuff, then obviously I'm going to recommend an acoustic. Um, often, which is weird, classical players kind of always know that they right. want a classical. Um, I think it has to do with the fact that usually it's parents that bring in like kids wanting classicals and they kind of know that they want them to do that. But electric and acoustic is kind of more up in the air. People just want to play guitar, and they just don't know what to start with. So for classical guitar players, it's sort of like piano. It's very much influenced by the parent or the family or even the culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say definitely just because conservatory is such a big thing, um, that kind of really influences the pick on, on that instrument. Okay. And when folks come in... And they say, you know, I'd like to, I want to learn to play guitar. Do you have to go through the process of educating them on not just what that means, but all the pieces that tend to go with that? Not always. Sometimes people do have siblings that have everything else and they just want the guitar. Or, But if it's someone that's coming in alone, they've never touched the instrument, don't know anything Always recommend a tuner. That's the first thing that goes with it. Um, yeah, there, Thank you'd be you. surprised. Thank you for that. <laughs> you would be surprised how many people come in and they're like, oh, I'm just going to use my phone for a tuner. I'm like, no, please, just get a tuner. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all the, all the classic things, even just getting the accessories is fun. You know, right. it shows personality. What strap are you going to get? You're going to get something that's like a fuzzy cheetah print strap or, uh, or something that's a little more understated. It does show personality that way so accessories okay, are fun that's cool so you mentioned if someone came in and they you asked them the types of music that they enjoy and, and presumably would want to be able to play 
that that will help direct you whether it's a, an electric guitar um, a steel string acoustic or a mm -hmm. nylon string acoustic what kind of what helps you determine i mean let's look at the next step we yeah. see a lot of acoustic players who are you know jamming with others or they're doing coffee house type of stuff mm -hmm. as well as electrics uh, what kind of questions do you ask when it comes to amplifier time <laughs> Well, I would say the first thing is space. Where are they working? Are they going to be playing gigs? Are they just playing in their bedroom alone? If it's the bedroom, which is most of the case when it's someone that's just getting their first guitar, I always recommend something very small. Uh, could be the Fender Mustang. That one's very popular. Okay. Or even a step up, the Boss Katana. That one's yeah. great because you could plug an acoustic and electric into it. And it's got a ton of effects it built into does. it. It's yeah. It's pretty versatile amp. Exactly. And the app is actually really intuitive as well. Um, for younger players, they love playing well, an app on their like phone, obviously. They like app on the phone. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, that, that would be the first thing is space. And I find a lot of the time people are really intrigued with, like, the digital amps that have all the effects in it. Because if you don't have any pedals, you don't even know what pedals are. What's the use of that to you right and pedals can be a bit of a black hole exactly yeah you can end up with hundreds of them it happens it happens to everyone <laughs> it's happened here eventually you know so i think i think that's pretty good guidance and it's interesting that you propose tools like the mustang which is a great entry-level amplifier yeah. both for guitar and for bass and you can plug headphones into it right right um but it's interesting that you bring up the katana because when folks ask me, I tend to go the same route. Yeah. Because there's so much value in it. Exactly. Um, I mean, yeah, I've, I've been playing for like 13, 14 years, and I have a katana. It's great. I <laughs> love it. Yeah, it does a good job. Yeah. And you can get them with enough power that you could play a gig with it. Absolutely, but yeah. But you can also turn them down and play at home. As you said, in the bedroom. Plus, it's got that headphone out. Yeah. So uh, the, yeah. you don't and get that you could bang plug on it the into walls. Your computer straight in, which is also amazing oh, right right so yeah. you could also use it for home recording yeah. now do you find that that's something that the a lot of the folks that you talk to are interested in doing these days definitely a lot of younger people i would say under 25 are really into home recording and having that computer out really makes a difference like there's tons of people just becoming producers on their own which is not what used to be the case you had to go to a studio Big analog gear, the whole board, but hey, now it's it's. I'm that totally age. Changed. I remember the Trevis Institute. Oh yeah, <laughs> where that was a big deal, you know, mm -hmm. and, and going through myself, going through an apprentice program as an engineer. And then... Yeah, well, I mean that's also a oh, great process. Th this right? is your first year as an engineer. You are now qualified to get coffee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe wrap a couple cables. Yeah. Maybe, but if you wrap them wrong, yeah, yeah, they'll. You, no, I hear where you're coming from. <laughs> Now, you mentioned that a lot of the folks that you're talking to are finding the value proposition in having the effects, and we know effects are popular, I mean, they're used all the time, but having the effects in their amplifier um, as being beneficial. And you mentioned the katana, because it can be used also with acoustic guitars. And it has a pretty decent reverb and a pretty decent chorus and tools that would apply across multiple types of instruments, yeah, right? Exactly. Both electric and acoustic. Um, and of course you, you bring up the important point that it can be also used direct 
uh, to the computer for recording. Now, you don't need an interface for that, right? No, you don't. It's It acts as its own interface, which is great. So just USB cable. Yeah. I don't know how much simpler it can get for people. <laughs> At this point, I'm endorsing the Katana. <laughs> but as you say, you bought one yourself, so it's probably yeah. a decent enough product and you haven't replaced it yet. No, absolutely. I wouldn't vouch for things that I wouldn't use myself. Well, welcome to that guitar lover, because that's our rule here. Oh, we, amazing. Do, we don't talk about stuff that we wouldn't actually use or, in this idiot's case, bought. <laughs> so I think that I think that's important because credibility matters. I, I believe fundamentally that people still want to know that there's someone that they can come and talk to you and get a trustworthy and honest answer. No, 100%. I mean, if I was shopping in a music store, that's what I would want too. So why would I... Act yeah. any sort of non-genuine way. I, I really do want to sell something that I think the person is going to love. Now, when I was coming up, I didn't like it, but I noticed it a lot that female instrumentalists who were not playing woodwinds or piano tended to get a bit disrespected in the guitar section. Is that still true? Uh, do it does happen, yeah, unfortunately. That's crazy. Yeah. I, do I, customers find it more comfortable to speak to you because you're a young person and a young female person? Uh, I wouldn't say so, actually. Okay, I would good. say most most of the time. So I do have a few other coworkers who are older males, and um, a lot of the time it would be those types of people who would go to them. If they are younger, they do tend to go to me or one of my other coworkers. Um, but yeah, in terms of gender, I have noticed a big difference since I cut my hair. Um, the way that some people interact with me is quite jarring, actually. Wow. <laughs> I, I didn't expect it, but it, it definitely has happened. Um, I do have one female coworker who is uh, in the guitar department as well, and I have noticed her being treated a little bit, I would say questionable <laughs> i think i know who you're talking about and i've observed the same sort of thing yeah i mean that's one of the challenges that uh well there's a lot of talk about gender awareness males don't mature till they're 60 or so and they're just <laughs> they can just be dorks yeah so i i think it's great that you you've gotten past that and you can help anybody out uh, who's looking for some guidance plus you bring all this experience to bear yeah, I mean, generally it is pretty harmless. It's just a little bit bothersome. Um, I can understand that. Yeah, but it is—it's just something that, as as a female in the music industry, there's so little of us. You kind of just have to deal with it and get over it and power through it. Honestly, I I do try to use it to my advantage when I can. So. <laughs> and so you should. Yeah. Right. You've got to, you've got to treat yourself with respect, and that means doing the things that encourage folks to respect you. Yeah, absolutely. So these folks, and they've come, they come to trust you, you know, because maybe you sell them the first instrument or their first amplifier, or you just answer questions. Because that's one of the beautiful things about a real guitar shop. Yeah. As opposed <laughs> to the online kind. Is you can actually go in and talk to people who know what they're about, who are musicians. I mean, I don't think I've ever been in a guitar shop that wasn't populated by <laughs> musicians uh, for whatever reasons. Uh, lots of good ones. Uh, when someone gets interested, 
what drives them to come back to see you and maybe buy their next guitar or to upgrade to something else or just get another one? <laughs> yeah, you got quite the collection, huh? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I would say that it is about being personable. You want to feel like you know the salesperson. You want to kind of know each other on a first name basis, right? It's I find in a guitar store as opposed to say going to Walmart, you want the person there to really feel like your friends kind of. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you're you have common ground. You love the same thing. You really just want to have a conversation with that person. You don't want them to sell you something. You just want them to feel like they get to know you and recommend you something that is great and something that you are going to use. And then you're going to associate that person with something that you love so much and you're just going to want to go back. Okay. Right? It's like a friend. Okay. Well, again, I think you said it earlier, it's building that personal relationship Absolutely. that's lasting. I mean, I, I still deal with people that I met and well, they've retired because they're smarter than me, but but I met back at the music shop back when it was in Thornhill. So the folks will come back. What drives them when they want to, what's driving them when they say, I would like to get another guitar or I'd like to upgrade my amplifier or I've been listening to this kind of music and I really need a pedal that will help me get to that point. Is it just their exposure or are they being influenced by media or by what other people are doing? So I would say now a lot of what's influencing people is just what's trending on the internet. So Instagram, obviously YouTube, TikTok, players like Tim Henson, John Mayer, uh, even Corey Wong, Mm -hmm. they, them having these like signature guitars out and having like the Tim Henson guitar came out not too long ago and I've had a handful of people ask about it if we've had it. Um, so it, it is a little bit of the hype in okay. quotations. <laughs> well, I don't know that that's necessarily new. I mean, yeah. credit to Fender because they were probably the first to put a signature decal on the same guitar yeah. as every other guitar and yeah. sell it for more money. <laughs> okay, so but that still drives people. I would say so. And, and just guitar players in general, I would say compared to a lot of other hobbies are more driven to find new gear, new things to play with, um, like toys, right? We love okay. our toys. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I, I would sense that that's true. I don't see, you know, once a trumpet player or a sax player gets that one that works for them, I don't yeah. see them having a house full. Exactly. I, I, that's that's the downside of us. We uh, kind of have that fault. <laughs> well, whatever they call it, gear acquisition syndrome, guitar acquisition syndrome. I mean, if it plays out and people enjoy it, then that's great. So when you set up um, to play for yourself, what does your standard rig look like? If I'm on stage... I will definitely use my Mesa Mark V 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, has a custom Fillmore cab with it. Yeah. Seafoam green, which is my vibe. <laughs> uh, that's cool. 
Um, yeah, I've actually, it's probably not typical for someone that's my age to really be addicted to the tube amp, but I just love it. I can't get away from it. Um, my pedal board is pretty small. It has about six, seven pedals on it. Uh, I actually do kind of a reverse order, which I know a lot of people don't Tell me do. about that. Yeah. So I actually have, I mean, besides my tuner, I have my reverbs and my modulation first. And okay. then I have my drive after that and my fuzz. I, I don't know. I've tried it both ways. I just really like it. It works for you. Yeah. <laughs> so I think what you're saying is figure out what works for you and don't get hooked up on what Joe Internet tells you is the only yeah. way to do it. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and my PRS McCarty or my Silver Sky is definitely my go-to. Okay. So you're a Paul Reed Smith guitars fan? A little bit, Yeah. <laughs> Good, <laughs> as you well know, so am I. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that uh, hall of audio you got right well, there. Well, <laughs> I brought that down because I knew you wanted to see it because uh, it's a rarity. It's it's called an uh, SCJ, and it was built only for NAM. Wow. Yeah, uh, it's beautiful. If only the audience could see it. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why we have an audio podcast. Because oh, yeah, nobody absolutely. can stand this face. <laughs> okay, so your go-to rig, you said, uh, is a Mesa Boogie 25. Um, I can't argue with that. I have a Mesa Boogie upstairs, and I agree. They're mm -hmm. incredibly versatile. Yeah, I love the EQ on it. Exactly. Oh, it's so useful, especially when you're switching between something with humbuckers, something with single coils. Using that is a lifesaver. <laughs> right, and I do. Uh, do you find that it's flexibility in terms of the channel switching can give you a lot of tones without anything else yeah it can um i don't do that because i just use my pedal board um right. i have so a strymon sunset up. i love that <laughs> you set the amp up clean i do yeah. and then you just use your your board to drive it yep gee that doesn't make you unusual at all because lots of folks work no, that way yeah you know uh, i know myself and and um uh, I think a Mick Taylor over at that pedal show, he, he and I have chatted a few times, and they do the same thing. Yeah. Get a great clean setup so you have that great clean sound, and then when you need the push. Yeah, exactly. Use a pedal to do it. Okay, and you, you mentioned the Strymon Sunset. For folks who don't know, what is the Sunset? So it is a dual drive. Um, so it's got the two sides on it. It has six different drives in it, and you can stack them. So there is a ton of different combinations. It is like my go-to pedal. It's my favorite pedal ever. Um, yeah, I love it. It's basically become my signature drive sound. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, the Sunset is a great pedal for those who don't know. It, is, it does have basically three sounds on each of two sides. And one of the really nice things about the Sunset, there's a micro switch on the back, so you can change which side goes first. Yeah. Which is, you don't see that a lot in dual drive pedals. No, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, know, you, you just continue to tell me how smart you are, because <laughs> I also spend money on a sunset, and it's on a Strymon <laughs> board upstairs. So you mentioned the tuner. Obviously, that's critical. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I go into guitar stores and leave, because please, just borrow a tuner. Yeah. Please. <laughs> You know, I know it's smoke on the water, but yeah, it doesn't sound like that. I mean, 
I don't know. I just block it out sometimes. Oh, well, you, you know, you have to do that. You're there a lot more than I am. Yeah. And, and you know, that's part of being a professional. So you talk about the tuner, you talk about the sunset. What else is on your board? Yeah, so I do switch reverbs. I have either a Polara or my Flint, which is the Trem reverb. Right. I absolutely love it. It's a classic reverb sound. Yeah, the Flint is really nice. Do you use the Trem part much? I do, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. I find it's a good texture. When I'm playing with a keyboardist, it's it's a good variation to have. Inter- that's an interesting comment. Trem yeah. is one of those things that I struggle with. Yeah, it's definitely underutilized. I suspect it's underutilized well, because a lot of time I hear it, it makes my head hurt. (laughs) Uh, But I concur that the Flint's reverb is just brilliant. I mean, I think it's the same reverb as is in the Blue Sky, which is another Strymon pedal. Uh, I don't know if the Blue Sky has it. I just know that I like it. (laughs) That's all that matters. Okay, so Tuner. Uh, yep. Sunset. Now, who does the Polara? I'm not familiar with that line. Is that a brand? Uh, it should be. It starts with a D. It's escaping me right now. Well, not to worry. I'll look it up and I'll put it in the yeah. notes for the for the episode. <laughs> okay, so the Polara or the Flint, and yeah. the Flint is, as you say, both a, a an incredible tremolo, um, as well as a reverb. I I know that uh, Peter Honore uses a flint on his board all the time oh yeah yeah he does so again you're an excellent company <laughs> and what's next um i have the jhs pink panther for okay. delays okay it's great great delay i i just honestly something about it i like the digital delay i don't know why <laughs> it's uh you like it that's yeah. all that matters well, right yeah <laughs> and um, and with that you don't get all the charming noise it comes with an analog that delay. Is true. Yeah. Everyone's really been on the uh DL four. Oh yes, the line six. Yeah. But it's a it's huge and it's, I, I it's monster power. Yeah. I can't bring that to a guy. I can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> no, no, I, I and I understand that. I remember I remember that the DL four when it first came out and it was like, I don't need the board just for this. Yeah. And that's pretty big. But you, but you like the Pink Panther, and you enjoy the ve- the flexibility and the agility of the digital delay. Yes, I I love it. It just it does exactly what I need it to do, and it's pink. So. <laughs> well, there you go. It's called the Pink Panther after all. Yeah. So. Okay, what's next? Uh, I've got the Carcosa Fuzz. Okay. It's it's a dirty dirty fuzz. Uh, I don't use it often, but when I do, it's definitely startling. <laughs> okay. And is that for, for the fuzz effect or for the enhanced sustain that uh, the fuzz can bring? More for the fuzz. More for the fuzz. Yeah. But it does have wicked sustain on it, so. Okay. Well, that's cool. Is it is a particularly noisy unit? I don't know it. It's a little bit noisy, but uh, again, it is like a specialty pedal. I only put it on sometimes for uh, for a different flavor. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And then is that the last pedal in the rig? Or? Uh, I've got the Rossi GFI Systems. That one's the newest one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love a good wah sound, but I don't like actually putting my foot uh-huh. on it and, and manually doing and it myself. And the pedal. So. Exactly. I want to be lazy. <laughs> I want to okay. step away from my pedal board. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been really good for funk stuff. Okay. So it's an auto wah type of thing? Yeah, yeah. It's a filter. Cool. 
And then that goes into the Mesa. Yeah. Or when you're at home, uh, use with the Actually, I, I use uh, my pedal board with my Mesa at home as well. Okay. So that I try and get the same sound that I am doing on the stage. That makes sense. Um, if I'm not doing that, I do have the Katana hooked up sometimes. And then I also have the Headrush MX-5. And okay. And the that. MX-5 is, it's one of Headrush's versions of sort of like a Helix LT, right? Yeah, pretty much. It's like a shrunk down version of, of the big unit. Yeah, so it doesn't do the amp or speaker cab emulation. It does actually. Oh, does it? Yeah, oh, it okay. has pretty much that. everything that the big one has, just in really? a smaller package. Well, small is convenient, especially if you have to carry it. Yeah. Well, that's that's the pro about digital, right? You don't want to lug a bunch of stuff with you everywhere you go. You just have one unit and does everything. I'm thrilled with the quad cortex. Yeah. It, it goes in the front pouch of a guitar case. Yeah, everyone loves the quad. I haven't hopped on the train yet, but uh, thinking about it. They're expensive, but man, the the quality is really good. Yeah. And I I am of that generation that walks around going, there are only tubes. (laughs) But I've blind tested folks. They can't tell. Oh, yeah, blind tested? They can't tell. Oh, wow. They couldn't tell the difference between... You know, a, a Soldano in the quad or a real Soldano. Wow. Now, obviously, the cabinets were isolated because it doesn't, you know, an FRFR doesn't push air. Yeah. Like a big 412 cabinet does. But from a sound perspective, they can't tell. And I've got a little Tone Master Deluxe Reverb under the table here. And I've done side-by-sides with that using just a radial ab switcher okay with the amps behind the the player yeah and i would switch and not tell them which one was which and they can't tell wow yeah that's that's impressive i mean digital is getting extremely it's really accurate good. yeah it's very good you know when you get and particularly with things like the deluxe reverb or um, my favorite fender the super reverb if a serious clean player can't hear a difference Mm -hmm. man there's a big difference in weight yeah and i've got a blackface twin and i need somebody to carry it for me yeah (laughs) because it's like 80 pounds yeah you need two people to carry that whereas a lot of the digital stuff is is really good and a lot of the and let's use the katana as as an example they're also using a much lighter speaker frame the neodymium style speakers which means you're not going to get a hernia and if as you say you're playing a gig i i don't know if you've ever found it. i never found a place that made it easy to get your gear on stage not one time no now never, that i think about it never it was always okay you got to go up these stairs push stuff through an air duct and then you got to <laughs> rappel down yeah 20 feet <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's ridiculous do venues have a pact to make it difficult for us, is that? I, I wonder if they do. Uh, I never thought of it that, that way. I always thought it was more theory. like, oh, here comes that guy. Let's make life difficult for him, <laughs> as opposed to make life difficult for everybody. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, we're musicians. We're doing what we love. We don't have an office job, so they must envy us a little bit for that. Right? I think they hate us a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we are a little annoying and loud. <laughs> 
Loud is more good. <laughs> Sometimes. Not when you're playing a Smells Like Teen Spirit. At, uh... No, 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 no. Um, you're right. And and certainly certainly in venues today, the you're more likely to be told to turn it down. Yeah. <laughs> than I, you know, than I recall. Of course, but when I was coming up, there were no PAs. Mm-hmm. The guitar amp had to reach to the back of the audience. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of an amp is you can hear that air. You can hear it pushing, right? And I guess that's the the battle between it. Do you want that for a hernia or you right. want a trade-off? No, there, there's an absolute trade-off. I've, I've got an old 7200-watt Marshall head and an A and a B cabinet. And wherever they're sitting right now, they're staying there. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can't move them, but I could pick up. You know, my quad cortex or a Kemper stage. And once you push it through a PA and people are drinking and talking, yeah, nobody knows. Well, absolutely. I think, I mean, the quad has made it really tempting just because of the user interface oh, on the it. The UI on it is just beautiful. Like the touchscreen. Besides, I would say the Kemper definitely did emulating the sound amazingly first. But the problem with the Kemper is that unless you really get to know that unit, it is so difficult to use. The UI is not. It's not friendly. No, it's not. <laughs> but the quad has definitely changed that. And I think people are really hopping on that train because. And I we're mean, seeing and we're seeing even more products of that type. I mean, yeah, uh, I've got a regular reader uh, subscriber who got into the Tonex. Oh, okay. And they love it. Yeah. You know, for the dollar, how the heck can you beat that thing? No, yeah, for sure. Oh, well, it takes a long time to make a profile. Okay, fair enough. And how many profiles are you making? <laughs> or are you just downloading them because they all exist? Yeah. You know, I mean, I found that was a real benefit to the Kemper. And then the Quad Cortex is that I could get amps that I will never own. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean... You got ten. You're gonna have ten amps on a on a big wall, or you got this one unit that can do all of it. It's... Yeah. Yeah. Twelve. Or both, Twelve maybe. amps on a big wall. <laughs> but I think the benefit there is that these kinds of tools, these digital tools, offer the musician flexibility. You know, I think you said you're 21. Yeah. I never had that when I was 21. Yeah. No, there's you, few you limits to You wanted a different sound, you dragged out another amp. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Back then, that was tolerable. Not today. No. I, I never <laughs> do that. So you mentioned that you're, that Paul Reed Smiths are your current go-to guitars. Now, you said a Silver Sky and a... McCarty 594 Semi-Hollow. McCarty 594 Semi-Hollow. Very yes. nice. And what, what drew you to the Semi-Hollow? Well, so the funny thing about that was I actually found it at Cosmo before I started working there. So it was about maybe three and a half years ago. And I just, I loved the look of the guitar first. I'm a little they're bit vain that pieces, way. <laughs> they're pieces of art. Yeah, no, I mean, there is something about, side note, when you look at your guitar just sitting on the stand and you admire that thing, you're like, I just want to pick it up. It just makes you want to pick it up, right? Of all the guitars I own, none are in cases. They're all out because they're beautiful. Yeah. Why have a guitar in a case? <laughs> I agree. I agree. 
Yeah. I agree. Okay. Anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I found it there, picked it up. I loved how it felt. Like it felt better than any guitar I'd ever picked up before. So I did some research on it and I went to go try other ones that were around my area. I tried the solid body 594s because I really did like the neck profile on that. Mm -hmm. That is what really drew me to that guitar and also the lightness of it. Oh, yeah. You could stand with that thing for hours. It's not going to hurt your back, not like a Les Paul. <laughs> um, no. But yeah, that's so right. I tried a bunch of them. None of them felt like that one. Uh, something about the way that the air was moving in that, even when I played it acoustically, it was just so resonant. It was so light. It just it felt like the perfect guitar to me. So I just had to have it, you know. I can't. I can't disagree with you, and I have to agree that the. This is an argument I get in all the time with people. Bodywoods don't matter on an electric. Yes, they do. Oh goodness, they do. They really do. Even something in the same series that's like a three, four hundred dollar guitar makes a difference. It does. Yeah. It really does. Okay, and and I get it because I, I'm a big fan of semi hollows and full hollows myself. Yeah, uh, uh, you know we all have that guitar that just spoke to them, and you just had to have it, right? I would love to hear your story if you have one. I think out of the over 120 guitars I have, there's only a couple that I still have that I didn't keep because of their distinctness of playability. Mm -hmm. My original Les Paul, which is a 71 Deluxe converted to a standard from the Norlin area, era so it's a sandwich body oh. <clears throat> comes in at about 350 pounds uh, <laughs> and i finally got it working with a set of seymour duncan antiquities uh it sounds good but it's very to your point it's very very heavy yeah you know i've got 57 reissues that are lighter than that mm -hmm. um, and then i've got a, i've got a pair of ovations that i don't play that i keep just because they're unique a, a shallow body 1990 commemorative and back and back in the 70s, um, Glenn Campbell was sponsored by Ovation, and he played Ovation Electrics. There were two. They're really weird-looking guitars. I have guitars. not ever seen one. Uh, the Breadwinner, which was a, a painted body, and the Deacon, which had, pretty interesting at the time, the ability to throw the pickups in and out of phase... Hmm. which was uh, like a transparent finish over wood. Okay. So I had, I found a Deacon, and it's hanging on its hook. And you know what? It doesn't sound great. The <laughs> neck is not ideal for me. I, I Like you, I like the the PRS necks. Uh, yeah. I've got a bunch of the original wide fats. Uh, but everything else I have, I get gets played. Yeah. You know, some more than others. As you say, there's just that one guitar you know how, no matter how crappy your fingers are feeling or your hands are feeling, well, it, you, you're, yeah. you're too young for joint pain, but <laughs> you know you can pick it up and it's going to be relaxing and fun. Yeah. I And a lot of the time you don't even know what it is. It's nope. just butter. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, um, <clears throat> like you, I have a very old Paul Reed Smith. Uh, custom 22 from the early 90s and 
unusual for me. It has the wide, thin neck, but it's you pick it up and it's there. Yeah. You know, it's still got the old rotary switch. It doesn't have a blade switch. Oh wow! But I think you're right. You got to, you've got to find the guitar that fits you and yeah. that feels right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. How how else are you going to feel inspired to play or inspired to find new things on the instrument? You really just want it to call to you so right. you can be kind of the best musician that you can. If it doesn't call to you, um, it's probably in the closet. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times there are people that come in the store and they come in with this old guitar. They're like, I don't know if I should get this set up. And it is just the worst playing instrument I've ever seen. I'm like, well, no wonder you've had it in the closet for who knows how long collecting dust because it doesn't feel good. No. Right? No, I, I encountered the same thing last year. Um, fellow had had a Gibson L50, uh, which is an arch-top F-hole guitar from 1957 never a big seller, uh, sat under a bed for 30 years. Yeah. Nah, it's just nothing. I picked it up, did a small setup on it. And it sounds like what you would expect, right? It doesn't have a big voice because it's a small body, but in the on the day, it's just perfect. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you, you've talked a couple of times about tube and digital... Uh, how do you explain the differences, particularly to someone who thinks, not that these people exist, but who thinks they know it all? <laughs> I'm sure you've never met anybody no, like not, that. No, not one time, no, not actually. One time. Okay. So I'm going to have to ask you to speculate on that then. Yeah, I will say there is a certain demographic of people that do think that they know better than the better than most people <laughs> but uh i will say a lot of the time if someone is set in their ways you can't really change their mind unless you show them okay so let's suppose that that person is set in their ways but they're receptive at least to seeing alternatives yeah what do you find so maybe let's do an example that'd be great if someone really wants a Fender tube amp and they're like okay my budget is a thousand dollars and they they've never played a tube amp before but they really want a tube amp because all their friends have told them that this is the way to go right uh i will show them something around that range maybe hot rod yeah um i think it's on the fourth generation now yeah so i'll show them a hot rod and i will right next to it place a tone master and uh, they they can plug it in, uh, try it out, and then I'll have them lift the amps. <laughs> and a lot of the time, people can't even tell the difference between the sound of a tube amp and the Tone Masters are so great. They really are. I mean, they're not, unlike a lot of the digital stuff, they don't try to be everything. Yeah. They try to be one thing. Exactly. And they do it, at least in my opinion. Yeah. Extremely well. It's simple. It's clean. It's light. Yeah. What more could you want from an amp, right? Right. Even though the hot rod, it sounds great, but a lot of the time, people don't need that much power. They don't need that much volume. It gets loud fast. Very, very loud. And even though it's a great tube amp, 
a lot of the time for people who won't even know the difference, it's not worth it. Well, and there's also the challenge. I mean, if you're not moving them around, like if it's just sitting in your home, tube amps are fine, but tube amps don't like movement. Yeah, they don't like it. The maintenance is a lot more <laughs> just in volume. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I was talking to uh, Roger Williams from Laney uh, on the weekend. Um, for those of you outside the greater Toronto area, uh, Cosmo Music uh where Kia works part-time, uh, has an event called Cosmo Fest, and they bring in a bunch of vendors. Um, and this is the first time, I think, in a long time that Laney products have been readily available here in Canada. Yeah. But one of the things, talking to Roger, and he is of a similar vintage to me, oh, <laughs> uh, a lot of the folks didn't realize that with a tube amp, you've got to let it, sit for a bit it has to and, marinate and when you turn it on don't hit the power cord right away you gotta let it warm up and you've got to let it cool down because yep. if you move it when it's not cool mm -hmm. well you're going to be replacing tubes and getting them biased and no you can't do that at yeah. home uh, unless you're specially trained so i think that there's a lot of value proposition for a lot of folks in the digital realm plus i think one of the other pieces of confusion and i'd like your feedback on this watts are watts but watts out of a class a amp and watts out of a class d like a digital amp that's completely a bit different. different completely different it is hard to explain to someone that really doesn't know anything about that aspect um basically i'll just try to say uh, a 20 watt tube amp can <coughs> equate to maybe a hundred watt digital amp maybe <laughs> actually i think that's a that's a a pretty pretty darn good way to look at it because yeah. uh using a sound pressure level meter i've equated that between four and five times the difference the the little deluxe reverb tone master um that's here the original deluxe reverb is 22 watts this is a hundred watt class d power section yeah and then just in the other room, there's a Tone King Imperial Mark II, which is a 20 watt that will shatter glass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't know you had that. I, I do, too. Oh, do and you? I love it, but oh, my goodness, it's powerful. <laughs> I, I, love the tone, I love the Tone King products, not because they're boutique amps, although they are. They're just, they do what they say they will do. I've got the Imperial and I've got a little gremlin that I bought at that auction, Dutch auction thing at Christmas time yeah, at your yeah. store. Oh, it's only five watts. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like being deaf? <laughs> Seriously. Oh, no. I mean, it's five watts. Why does it need an attenuator? Go ahead. Turn it on. You're going to find out real quick. Yeah. I, I think all amps, all tube amps should have an attenuator. I've gone out and bought two attenuators for most of them because, well, in the case of my old Marshalls, they have to be in a certain setting to get the sound. Yeah. And at that setting, the constabulary is going to be visiting. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just too darn loud. Yeah. No, the, especially now a lot of people live in apartments. I live in an apartment. I cannot crank my no. Tone King. Cannot do it. No. Yeah. 
No, because, and, and you're right, because otherwise you're going to annoy people or you're going to, you know, create a bad feeling. I mean, I, I live in a house and... Uh, or the building's going to end up coming down. <laughs> okay, well, there's that, but, you know, I've got a really good neighbor. He's 20 feet west of me and he will joke with me any the day after any time one of the marshals has been turned on. That's hilarious. Because... <laughs> You know, yeah. You know, it's not only loud, but it also pulses with some, yeah, uh, interesting subsonics. You would need to be in a solid concrete bunker that's completely oh, really, isolated. Really, really, I was looking at what Tim Pierce has done, and that he's got all his amps in his little comp cockpit thing that he's built, but all of his cabinets are isolated. They're in an isolated room, right. separate. Um, and I know that Pete Thorne does the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. If only we all had that resource. <laughs> yeah, that kind of money. And, <laughs> and I would happily take either of their skill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm not there and probably never will be there. I think we're, we're all in that boat. Well, I think that's part of the joy of playing, right? Yeah. It's always an opportunity to learn something new. Yep. Right? I, I love learning, personally. Yeah. I wish I learned about Django Reinhardt. A lot longer ago yeah. than when I did. And then there are the days where you go, I just can't do this. He did it with two fingers. Stop whining. <laughs> Get to work. I Yeah, I remember transcribing a few of Django's solos. And that he he plays quite differently. And it's, does. it's really good to try to transcribe players like that. Yeah. Or even uh, like Wes, Wes Montgomery. Oh, yeah. His technique is, it's, it's horn-like. It's great. Uh, I, I agree. I think that yeah. Wes is probably, and I love your description, I think he's probably the most horn-like of the guitar players. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it, just the size of his hand and the fact that he only uses thumb. Yeah. I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> I remember when there was a lot of noise, um, when Ed Van Halen you know, brought out eruption and tapping became a thing. But I also remember this guy called Tah. Tal Farlow hmm. and his record evening in Vermont where he was tapping in 1959. Oh. And he's a great jazz player if you're into that sort of thing. I haven't heard of him. Yeah, really distinctive style. Not like Wes. Uh, more flowing lines and not, not the bebop kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, more classical type of stuff. Not the, not the horn-like sound that Wes had, though. That guy was magical. Yeah. <laughs> but... But again, I mean, because you're into music, you may want to look up some Tal Farlow. Yeah, I ought to. Uh, he was a very cool guy. And I think that's part of the benefit to us as musicians is that we have the opportunity, if we choose to open our minds, to all kinds of different stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the mistake that people do make is they try to completely copy another player. Yeah. But that's not what you should do. You should just play as yourself play like what you would play well I'm, I'm pleased to hear you say that because i do encounter folks uh they want to play every nirvana song yeah note for note or when i was coming up it was play every zeppelin song note yeah. for note that's kind of boring isn't it and you can't do it no because you don't have the the hands and the feel and it seems self-defeating yeah well i mean you could copy it to a t as much as you can try but 
what's even the point of doing that? No, I, I mean, I've seen all these. I'll date myself. Let's call them young kids. Kids under 10, like clearly talented musicians, able to play Cliffs of Dover perfectly. Hmm. But it's perfect. Yeah. And uninspiring and tiring. Robotic. Yeah. Uh, whereas I listen to Eric Johnson play it or watch Eric Johnson play it. And I have had that luxury. And there's something about the individual to mm -hmm. the point that you make. Yeah. That is really empowering uh, and personally gratifying, I think, for people. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is what gets you farther in this industry is being creative. It is doing what is most true to you because then something new is made, right? Right. But that's not saying you can't take inspiration because obviously we all have our inspirations. But oh, that, That's a given. Yeah. You know, every note has been played. Yeah. It's what, <laughs> you, what you do with it that I think makes the difference. Absolutely. And how much you, you put it of yourself into it. Yeah. Now, I remember reading interviews with B.B. King and I had the luxury of seeing Mr. King a couple of times before he passed. Wow. And, you know, I remember something he said once. Why are you working so hard? <laughs> now, B.B. King could do more with one note. To me, my opinion, happy that people will disagree. B.B. could do more with one note than some people can do with 27. Mm -hmm. There was just an emotion and a feel yeah. that he was able to bring across. That reminds me of the performance with John Mayer that BB did. And you could just tell BB sitting there relaxed. He oh is man. just in his He's in the, the zone. way that he does. And John is sitting beside him. He's he's very young compared to him obviously yeah. and a little bit anxious, you could tell. Obviously his oh, idol's sitting yeah. right there. What are you going to do, right? Oh yeah, if if I was sitting beside playing beside BB King. Yeah. Yeah, I just put it down and walk away. <laughs> nothing, there's nothing I can bring to value here. Yeah. Well, I yeah, I mean not to diminish John, he was playing great, oh, but Oh, no doubt. He was he was definitely overthinking it. Just Watching BB jam with him, it's you could tell BB was so comfortable in his style, and John was overcompensating a little bit. No, I and I and I can see that because I see that in players of any every generation. Yeah, you can see that when folks create, I find that when people flub stuff, and and I ought to know about flubbing because I'm good <laughs> at it. It's when you're overthinking. Yeah, and pushing too hard. Yeah, just step away. Take a couple of breaths, and it'll come. I know when I've when I've studied, you know, a particular track, I could drive myself into insanity. Yeah. Come back in three hours, and it's just there. Yeah. I think we've all experienced that one. Uh, that's good to hear, because sometimes, particularly if, as many of us do in these times, you're playing by yourself, you don't get that benefit of. Oh, yeah, I'm in there. Yeah. This is how I got out of that trap. Yeah, for sure. No, I I do remember one of my teachers telling me that there are no wrong notes. There are no wrong notes. If you play a wrong note, embrace it and turn it into something else. And right. that really helped me. It sounds like Homer Simpson. Those <laughs> jazz guys, they got all those extra notes. <laughs> 
So, Key, I'm so thrilled that you came to be with me on the on this episode, um, and I really, really appreciate your insight. Uh, oh, this and, was my uh, pleasure. Willing to share what you're seeing. Are, if there were a few pieces of advice that you would give to a person considering music school, haven't decided to go there, but they're considering music school and, and maybe building a career in the music industry, any thoughts that you'd care to share with them? The relationships that you build there are invaluable. I would say be less worried about the actual schooling itself because you will learn. If you want to learn, you will learn. But what you learn from your peers and the connections that you make there, that is everything. Because in music, that is everything. It is who you interact with, who you're going to end up playing with for the next 20, 30 years. That's going to define where it takes you. So, yeah, that's what I would say. I think that's terrific advice, particularly as people become more and more isolated and trapped in front of their computers and just watching, you know, people playing on YouTube. Yeah. Go out to jams. Get out and play with yeah, folks. Absolutely. And no matter how bad you think you suck, and I would know about that, it's a blast. Yeah. It really is. And don't worry about sucking because everybody sucks when you go to school. That's that's what you're there to do. You're yeah. there to suck and then learn and, and get keep better. playing. Yeah. You know, put yourself into it. Keith, thanks so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This oh, was an amazing it was time. Such an honor for me. Uh, folks, thanks very much for listening. Please consider subscribing so you get notified whenever a new episode of the podcast comes out. For thatguitarlover.com, I'm Ross Chevalier, and until next time, I bid you peace. <laughs>